Before we start our episode, we want to welcome Middle Sister Wines as our happy hour sponsor. Did you know that birth order is commonly believed to have a profound and lasting effect on psychological development? And that the Middle Sister has a greater chance of having a wine named just for her? Well, welcome to the world of Middle Sister, sassy wines for Middle Sisters and everybody who loves them, which includes the Three Tomatoes. We've been fans for years of their delicious whites like Drama Queen Pinot Grigio, but we confess we're slightly partial to Rebel Red and her sassy remarks like, if anyone tells you they don't like red wine, stop talking to them. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. They're more than just a wine. They're a family of sisters you're going to love. Learn more at MiddleSisterWines.com. And now we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour podcast. I'm Cheryl Benton, and joining me today is my friend and a fabulous tomato, Diane Duresta. Diane is a communications expert who has helped people in all fields to gain the confidence to speak like a leader. Diane says to be a leader with influence, you have to be a knockout presenter. And while gifted speakers are born, effective speakers are made. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Knockout Presentations. So welcome, Diane, and I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm excited to be here. Terrific. So listen, before we get into talking about uh, techniques to become better speakers, I wanted to just get a little personal with you for a moment, because I know that your husband, Ed, is desperately in need of a kidney, and you've been working with a wonderful nonprofit group called Renewal that educates the public and also helps people like your husband find donor kidneys. So can you tell us a little bit about this process? Sure. Uh, Ed has what's called end-stage renal disease and so he's on dialysis three times a week that clears out the toxins but it's not a substitute for kidney so eventually you you get a kidney a couple of ways either you're on a list and when someone dies and they're a match you go and get your kidney or there are live donors and there we're discovering there are many people who want to do that as a way of saving lives we hooked up with renewal.org uh, through a friend, you know her, Sharon Morantz, and mm-hmm. they that's exactly what they do. They help kidney donors and recipients connect, and they take you through the entire process. So we just had a t- uh, talk, a presentation July 10th. We had an event, and we had one of their speakers come in and talk all about the process, and it was really fascinating. So I would say that if somebody wants to know about how to get in touch with Renewal, just go to renewal.org and they have a, a great website. They are the premier organization or nonprofit in this area and to date they've had success with 600 transplants. And if there's anyone who's thinking, I would love to do this, I would love to be a kidney donor, then I would say go go to this email, capital R, 23 881 at renewal.org and that's if you want to be a donor so that's capital r 23881 at renewal.org that's great diane and and obviously we're thinking of you and and uh and ed as well and it's just such good information to know anyway um and our friend ann acres is going to be writing she was actually at that event and she's going to be doing an article at the three tomatoes 
very soon just to really educate people about what the process is because I know for example she told me that a that a live kidney donor is much better more effective usually than a uh, cadaver kidney which I didn't realize yes and the waiting lists are so long we are registered one of the hospitals is New York Presbyterian and there's an eight to ten year waiting list so we don't yeah, we don't have that time, and we've been yes. advised, go to find someone who wants to be a donor. Great. And the other thing, too, is just to re- remind people about, uh, you know, in New York, you can have a simple checkoff that, you know, lets you become a, a a donor for organs. And I know that in New York, we're actually one of the lowest states for donors. So it just helps to remind people that that's a simple thing that you can do. And, on your uh, license, on your yes, driver's license. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. It could help so, so many people. So now let's move on to what it is that you do and how do you actually work with people to help them communicate better? What's the process? Are these uh, individual sessions that you typically do? How does it work? All right, sure. Well, what I do is I take good speakers and turn them into great speakers, and I take nervous speakers and put develop them into confident speakers because today Cheryl speaking is the new competitive advantage and everybody has to have this skill whether you're networking whether you're giving a town hall whether you are online doing a webcast this what we're doing is public speaking so if you don't have it you will not be able to advance in your career so how do I work I work in a number of ways I'm a certified speaking professional which is a designation less than 22 people worldwide have so I do keynotes I do seminars and workshops and I do one-on-one coaching so when I'm working with a group it's usually with an organization that brings me in and we're working a day two days on everything from delivery to organization to handling questions and answers to visual aids to understanding your audience when I'm working one-on-one there are two markets I specialize in with executives in the area of executive presence and so there I'm working one-on-one with anyone from director level to the C-suite I have a three-month and a six-month program. We are meeting face-to-face, and we are working on their specific presentations, issues, and goals. So it there is a, I won't say curriculum, it, it, there are fundamentals that we go through, and then the rest of it is dealing with people's real-world material and issues. Sometimes I work longer for a six-month period. When I'm working with an individual who is not from a big corporation, it's fewer sessions. Sometimes I have past clients who've worked with me for a period of years, and then when they have something big coming up, they'll book a couple of hours with me to get them up to speed on something new coming up. That's so I was right. just yeah, I was just That's... with a a client that I've had for five years, and she's in a new situation, and she'll be coming back for some pointers. Excellent. That is terrific. So, we know that public speaking fills so many of us with dread, but speaking <laughs> up, for sure, yes. it's one of the yes. top fears, for sure. Yes. But speaking up is is also a problem, speaking up as opposed to just, you know, giving a speaker mm-hmm. a speech or a presentation is also a problem for a lot of people, and especially women. And I know that you've seen this, and I've certainly seen this. You can sit around really any conference room table 
and you're sure to find a woman who's reluctant to speak up to say what she really wants in a meeting. And I know this is an area that you're you're also helping women with. So let's talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. And it's so true. And when I t- uh, talk about executive presence for women, this comes up a lot where their ideas are not heard or they're not or they're easily dismissed. So women need to speak up. And they've told me on my performance review, they told me I have to speak up or I'm too nice. So here is what I would recommend with women. Know that it's a double standard. It's not paranoia. It is true. We are judged differently and we have to play the game a little bit differently. So we have to work harder when we come to a meeting. Number one, you need to set your mind. I work on mindset and skill set. The first thing is you belong there. And often what I hear in organizations is someone will say, my team is really good when they present to me, but then as soon as I go to senior management, they're they lose total confidence. Mm-hmm. And so what I've told those people is this, you are a VIP because you have information that that executive or high level decision maker needs. I don't care if you're an admin, you would not be at that meeting if you didn't have value. And at the moment that you're presenting that information, there is a shift in power. You are in the power spot because you have the information and the knowledge. So own that you are a VIP. So that's the first step. You've got to set your mind in a certain way where you say yes. I have presence, I'm important, and I belong here. Now, the other way you do that is physically. By how you walk into the room, by how you take a seat at the table, and I show women, and men as well, postures, grounding positions, so that when they take a seat at the table, they look like they have a certain amount of confidence Mm -hmm. and gravitas. The other thing is they need to speak up and project their voices. So... I would say go into presentation mode rather than conversation mode, because if you're too soft-spoken, you won't be taken seriously. So you do need to project a little bit more than maybe natural so that you are heard. And then when we're talking about voice, what is your tone or your intonation? This is not a time to use up talk. This is a good idea. I'm glad to be here. It sounds like you're asking a question, and this is so typical, especially with millennial women. Bring your voice down at the end of a sentence because you need to have conviction in your tone if you want your ideas to be heard and accepted. And then, what, as I said, what is your body language? How are you using your hands? How are you positioning yourself at the table? And are you connecting with people? Are you talking at the air? Or are you looking at a person and delivering a thought and holding the eye contact? It's really important to make that eye connection. And then the other thing I would say is have a true believer in the room. Talk to either your immediate supervisor or a peer so that they can support you. Because here's what happens sometimes. A woman says something, it's not heard. A man says the same thing, and then all of a sudden, it's the greatest idea since sliced bread. So here's where a buddy can jump in and say, Cheryl, you know, I'm glad that you liked Cheryl's idea because when Cheryl was saying XYZ, it really resonated. So what you're doing is you're retrieving the idea back for the person and you're giving them credit. So we need to help each other in that way. 
Those are all really great tips. And and while we're on this topic, I've actually seen this happen. I know a lot of times it will happen in in a business setting and uh, men will tend to dominate the conversation sometimes Mm -hmm. and women are a little, you know, intimidated by that. But I also, I chair, for example, a, a nonprofit group and we have a, you know, a monthly meeting and it's women. And it's very interesting because it at every meeting, there were two or three women who don't really hardly ever say anything in the meeting. Yet afterwards, they'll send me emails with some really great ideas. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> I wish they had said that in the meeting. So it, then I think, well, you know, maybe it's how I'm running the meeting sometimes. Is there, what could I be doing to engage them more? And, mm-hmm. you know, why does that happen? They've got these great ideas. And, it, you know, sometimes I think it's maybe because there are, you know, there are always the people who will dominate a meeting in a, you know, in a very strong way. So as a facilitator, I guess that's mm-hmm. my question. Mm-hmm. How can you help those situations, whether it's the one I just described or in a in a business setting. Sure. And Cheryl, this is so typical and it it's not even gender specific. It's, it has to do with strong personalities and more introverted people. So here's the first thing. If you know you have introverts on your team or quieter people, send the agenda in advance because sometimes they need processing time. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you see that there are people dominating, here's where I would actually engage and say, Cheryl, what are your thoughts so far? What do you think uh, about what Susan is saying? Because sometimes those people need to be drawn out. It's a, a confidence issue and it's also that they don't speak as quickly. So the intro- the extroverts blurt out whatever they're thinking. They say that extroverts have foot and mouth disease. Right. <laughs> Whereas the introverts need to process first. By the time they process, the idea is already on the table. So that's one thing. The second thing is you can ask if you want to do some brainstorming instead of doing it as a full group you might want to put people into little pods i don't know how many people are in your meetings but you might have people paired or in trios and say all right for the next five minutes i'd like you and your small groups to come up with some ideas and then report back so at least they have their ideas being collected and then you can credit the people who had those ideas. So those are a few tips, but it's building people's confidence. That That is great. That is terrific advice. And I will definitely try that at our next meeting. So let's get back now to actually getting up in front of people and making a presentation. And what are a few of the most common mistakes that people make and how can we avoid them? Well, I would say one of the biggest mistakes is a lack of focus. People have not put in the preparation time, and so they tend to be all over the place. And so here's something that people can do, and I have this in my book, Knockout Presentations. Fill in the blank. At the end of my presentation, the audience will blank. The answer to that is your outcome. When you begin with an outcome in your preparation, then everything that you prepare is going to lead you to that goal. The other thing that's related to lack of focus is getting stuck in the weeds. And this is not just a female problem, this is a male problem, and I've seen it at a high level, at at the CFO level, at the CEO level. When people are in technical, financial, scientific kinds of 
industries, it's really easy to get stuck in all the technicalities. So one of my secret sauces is I'm very good at cutting through the clutter and getting right to the heart of the matter. So here's what I would say to those people. Tell them what they need to know, not everything that you know. Yes. Tell them, seriously, tell them only what they need to know, not everything you know. And less is more, truly, in a presentation because they can't absorb it. And then I'd say another mistake I see that's huge is too many speakers are speaker-centered and not listener-centered. So what does that mean? Well, I wrote a whole chapter, I think it's chapter seven in Knockout Presentations because too many people talk about, hi, today I want to talk to you about my product. Today I want to talk to you about my business. And we really don't care, do we? <laughs> what we care about is our own self-interest. So when I work with people, I show them how to develop a hook or a grabber that draws people in right away and helps you step by step to lead them to your way of thinking. But before you can influence someone, before you can get their attention, you have to, or, or before you can have them listen to what you're saying, you have to get their attention. And so build your presentation in terms of what's important to them. Excellent, excellent points. And uh, and again, people really need to get your book because you go through so many of these this great advice in there. Let's let's talk for a minute about overcoming stage fright. And I know it happens. I think it happens to all of us at some mm -hmm. point. And you know, and I give a lot of. I get up and speak a lot, and I have for years. And every once in a while, and I don't know where it come from comes from. I'll get up, and all of a sudden, I I feel this little panicky feeling. Uh -huh. <laughs> Before I get, and I'm like, oh uh -huh. my gosh, and I'll start off, and I actually feel like my voice is shaky, although when I listen back, it usually it's never not. is, <laughs> but I feel that way, so mm -hmm. let's talk about that, and what are some things that we can do to help us overcome that? Well, first of all, people think they have to get rid of nervousness. nervousness. No, you need to channel it or manage it, but a little bit is good, because all that is is adrenaline, and what's nervousness? It's really energy. So you don't want to lose the energy. True confessions. Here's my little disclaimer or my self-disclosure. When I'm in a networking meeting and it's my turn to speak, I get nervous. It's so funny. I don't know where it comes <laughs> from just like you because I do this for a living. But you don't even have to understand where it comes from. It's just that you need to embrace it. Okay, there's my adrenaline and now I'm just going to breathe and I'm going to start talking. Yes, this is a serious issue for many people, and I work on two levels with people, mindset and skill set. And nervousness begins in the mind. The butterflies are a reaction, but it starts in the mind. It's a limited belief that you have. And when I work with people in a coaching capacity, we start to identify what the limiting beliefs are, and we change them around. So let me give you one example if we have time. Do we have time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So I had a second year law student come to me. I was a gift from her mother-in-law because she was about to drop off out of law school because she was so nervous about speaking in class. So when we started talking, I realized she had a, a limiting belief that she wasn't clear in her communication. And so when the professor wouldn't understand her, she would think she was just not a good communicator. And I said, do you realize that we take in information through our filters? And that doesn't mean you're not clear. He's not understanding it for whatever reason. And all that takes is a skill of clarifying. 
that's all it is. It's just a skill. And she started to rethink herself. And finally, after a few sessions, she started to gain her confidence and graduated. And today she's a, she goes out and speaks and she's fine. So it's mindset and skill set. One of the best things that you can do once you set your mind in a positive direction is to work on your breath. Because when you're in a state of anxiety, you stop breathing you hold your breath. So I work on deep breathing exercises with people. There are a number of apps that you can get. One of the apps that I like is Take a Break. It's a meditation app and you can set it for a minute or so. And it's a good way to begin before you get up there and present. But I have chapter three called Fear Fixes and there are four categories of remedy, Cheryl. There are physical, mental, behavioral, and chemical remedies. So knock yourself out reach out. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrific that is terrific uh, so another thing i wanted to talk to you about uh and actually we're going to be posting one of your articles this week at the three tomatoes on this topic is what to do with your hands now it's something i often think about because i'm a hand talker i'm actually using even though you can't see me but i'm actually using my hands <laughs> right now and sometimes i think oh my gosh my hands are kind of all over the place and then there are the people who just stand there in fear of moving their hands at all but the other side of it so help what do we do all right so you're describing i I wouldn't describe you as this, but the juggler. There are some people whose hands are in perpetual motion and then that becomes a distraction because it's nervous energy. The opposite of that is the wooden soldier who stands there with their hands at their sides and they never move. Here's what I tell people. When they tell me, well, I don't gesture. I don't really use my hands. Yes, you do. Have you ever seen anyone at the coffee maker say, wow, did you see that home run last night? and stand there rigidly? No. So we all use our hands. What we need to do is loosen up and have a conversation. When you look at one person and deliver your message and another person and deliver your message, your hands are going to start to come up because now you're in a conversation. But the number one thing I would say for everybody is get your hands waist high because when your hands are above the waist, you look confident. This is what body language experts tell us. In fact, your power space is from your waist to your face. So if your hands are fidgeting or dangling below your waist, you're going to look nervous. Now, once your hands are above the waist, there are a few things you can do. You can count off on your fingertips. So let's say you're running a meeting and you have three agenda items. You can say, let's talk about A, B, and C and count off on your fingers. You can also use a number of gestures. There's one that's very powerful. It's called the ball. So it's as if you're holding a basketball, an invisible basketball. And when you ha hold this position, you look confident. But here's the key. Get involved in your message because when you're passionate, your hands are going to move. Now, if you find that you're getting into trouble and you're constantly juggling your hands, then come back to rest position. For me, my rest position is one hand on top of the other. But use your hands and then come back and rest. Great advice. Fabulous advice. I love that. I'm going to really think about that next time I'm up in front of a group. Uh, so another thing that I that that you talk about that I really like too is uh, sloppy speech and that how that can really turn people off. So give us some examples of sloppy speech. Well, this comes back 
from my speech pathology days because I started my career as a speech pathologist in the New York schools. And that was my job to help people to be clear and to develop their language and to be articulate. But I hear in the workplace and in everyday speech some sloppiness that will impact your credibility and your brand. And those bad habits are things like dropping off endings, working, playing, singing. So dropping off endings is not a good thing. Another thing that I sometimes hear is mumbling. People talk like they have marbles in their mouth and don't understand what they're saying because they're just not articulating. They're not opening your mouth. So clearly articulate. And to do that, you need to open your mouth. And sometimes I see people speaking through clenched teeth and that's not going to serve you. Not only will you not be clear, but you won't be loud. You need to open your mouth to project. Sometimes people mispronounce words, and I hear this all the time from television anchors, and it drives me crazy. But for example, athlete instead of athlete, or here's a, a very typical one. Instead of saying mischievous, people will say mischievous. So think about what are some of those words that are butchered, and how can you say them more correctly? And again, grammatical errors are a key as well. I've heard people say things like, I should have went instead, I sh instead of I should have gone. So if you use sloppy speech, if you don't have correct grammar, if you mispronounce words, it will definitely impact the way you're perceived in the workplace. So that's really important. The main thing is slow down because when you slow down and you pause, you're going to be clearer. Those are uh, those are really good tips, and I was kind of laughing to myself when you were talking about the part about mispronouncing words and hearing that on TV and whatnot. Because I'm actually turning my novel right now into an audio book, and I'm doing the narration, mm -hmm. and it it is amazed me when I go back and listen because I'll have to re-record actually how many times I've mispronounced something and didn't even realize it. Wow. And I'll listen and yeah. I'll say, that's not how, how did that come <laughs> out of my mouth? You know, and you go yes. back. So yes. I think sometimes it's just thinking a little more consciously too mm -hmm. of what's coming mm -hmm. out of your mouth. Exactly. Um, thinking yeah. you speak and slowing down. Yes. Yeah. And I was also thinking uh, when you were talking, you, I like the slowing down thing. I have a teenage granddaughter and sometimes I'll, uh, pick she and her friends up from someplace and they'll be back in the back seat of the car and the speed at which oh. they talk is it's unbelievable i can't understand half of what they say i don't know how they're understanding each other but they do so i don't know if that's uh, a generational thing right now or if you're seeing any of that with millennials yes. I don't know, but there used to be a reality show. Victoria Gotti, the, the Don's daughter, had her three sons on. And when they spoke, they actually had to have captions because you could not understand <laughs> these three boys. It was a, a, I couldn't believe it because their mother was so articulate. But it must be generational. Yeah, I, that's how I feel. I feel like I need captions when they're in the back <laughs> of the car. <laughs> So anyway, Diane, this has gone so fast and this has been terrific. Do you have any maybe just last three top tips you could give our listeners? I would say this. Speaking is the new competitive advantage. You can no longer avoid the skill. Step up and speak out. Do not be a wallflower because no one is going to pull you by the hand. So 
one of the best ways, especially for women, to gain visibility is through speaking. It is one of the equalizers. So get out there and speak. If you're nervous, there's help. You can read my book, Knockout Presentations. You can hire a coach. You can go to a seminar, go to a webinar, go to Toastmasters, but do something to improve your skills. And for those of us who are seasoned speakers, we always need to raise the bar. So continue to work on this skill. Anybody can be an effective speaker. Gifted speakers may be born, but effective speakers are made. Well, that is great news for all of us because, uh, you know, we all want to get up and, and deliver our message and do it in a way that people respond. So and I, I, have lo- a, I love I have, hearing that. I have a gift for your listeners. If you go to my website, Deresta.com, that's D is in David I. R-E-S is in Sam, T is in Thomas A, Deresta.com. There's a free audio course, Seven mis- Deadly Mistakes Speakers Make and How to Avoid Them for Maximum Success. They are in the form of audio emails, and they'll come through your desktop. So just go to the homepage and sign up for that. And you'll also find knockout presentations there as well. You can get it online or at Barnes & Noble and local stores. Diane, that is fantastic. And thank you for that great offer, too, to our listeners. We'll definitely make sure to promote that. So this has been fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, again, we're we're wishing all good things that um, we get a kidney donor for your husband. And we'll have to have you back again. And people can read several of your articles, too, at thetheretomatoes.com. And we'll have the one on uh, what to do with your hands. Uh, thank you so we'll be much, up Cheryl. There. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.